James Luther Adams is one of our notable 20th century Unitarian and Unitarian Universalist theologians, and he says, a living tradition is not bequeathed through some law of inheritance. It must be earned, not without dust and heat, and not without humbling grace. The living, tra the living tradition is not bequeathed through some law of inheritance, but it must be earned, not without dust and heat, and not without humbling grace. Adams extends this to us from his time in the 20th century, where he was calling us on and articulating for us five aspects of liberal religion that we are freely choosing to gather that our social communities are some of the most powerful instruments of our gathering and work in the world, that revelation is continuous because everywhere there is new truth to be found, and that there is reason for ultimate, although not immediate, optimism. And he did this, he articulated this message to us even while he called on the Protestant churches of Europe to act against the rising fascism uh, and the Nazis. He called to the churches and he calls to us still to keep acting against forces that would dominate humanity and the world if they were given the chance. We are called. He calls us and we call each other to freely choose to act together, knowing that there is always new possibility, always something new to be revealed and known. Because beliefs, denominations of faith's beliefs, and also the, the people of any particular faith, we are not static enterprises. We are continually moving and shifting and flowing. We might get caught up uh, in ourselves, wound around our respective axles on occasion, or we might get uh, caught up in an obstacle, whether something outside of us or within, or even find ourselves at critical moments that would necessitate a change of course, something entirely unexpected. And then we find our way again. We keep moving forward. We are never the same. And at the same time, we still, in our values, our principles, what we aspire to, what we dream, we are still also containing memory and legacy and origin. All that has been is also with us still. The hope that we have, both from containing and recognizing our foundations and where we come from, as well as recognizing that we're never in the same place twice, is that we have an opportunity for hope, for learning, for discovery, for new insight, new wisdom. You know, Unitarian Universalist, we are a wisdom tradition. We are great at making mistakes, and hopefully we learn from them, right? that would inspire new evolution, even transformation. And on balance, we do this work together, that on balance, 
that we might be part of that arc of the universe bending toward justice one tiny increment at a time. So in this moment, in Unitarian Universalism, is a new deepening of our living tradition and the promises made about how we have, what we have received in the legacy and how we are called on and moving forward. Now, in our faith tradition, uh, of which this congregation is a part, we have a main statement of uh, commitments and values and principles that appears in our UUA bylaws. I know, really exciting. Woohoo, bylaws. Let's get into it. I mean, grant you, grant you. I mean, for some of us, bylaws are like, you know, set the heart aflutter and power to you. Because, yay, we need that love. But I will admit that bylaws are not ancient preaching, they're not stone tablets coming down from a mountain. They're not some in some scroll or cracked leather binding. Oh, we have some wonderfully leather-bound books, by the way, just in case you like those too. But, but the statement, this statement is, well, it comes to us by many sources, many individuals working together and has been approved as a covenant between our congregations. We, the member congregations of the Unitarian Universalist Association, covenant to affirm and promote. And that covenant is a promise. It's promise that is larger than any one particular word, but it's also a powerful promise that in itself calls us forward to create a message larger than any one of us can do any one congregation, any one moment in history can create together. We have principles and sources, a statement of purpose, a statement of non-discrimination, and a statement of not offering a creedal test. And it's in the front of the hymnal. If you like having text in front of you, go right ahead. We have the front of the hymnal. It's been in the gray one. It's been in place since 1984, about 38 years has been the center of identity in articulation, talks about, the principles talk about inherent worth and dignity, justice, equity, and compassion, human relations, acceptance of one another, search for truth and meaning, and much more. And it's the one, I will say, the one I grew up with. It's the one I found, I saw when it first appeared as a poster on the church walls and was like, oh, that's where I, that's so helpful. Now I can talk to my friends about this faith. And, and these principles, these sources and so on, wasn't meant to be the one statement that was going to endure for all time. It wasn't meant to be fixed. It wasn't meant to be carved in stone, for example. And now, now we are reviewing and reworking that section of the bylaws, one that we hope to invite everyone to be part of in the hope that we could begin in love and creation and build into something new for the years to come. So I wanted to spend a moment kind of naming about what, where we have been, like how did we get here, and recognizing that we have had statements evolve over centuries of time. 
and then I'll talk about what's coming. Because we didn't arrive here fully formed uh, with this kind of statement of principles uh, when the first uh, Unitarian congregation was founded uh, in 1630, when First Church of Boston was founded. We weren't looking like this then. I'm just going to tell you that. 400 years ago, we were quite different. But it was still a commitment of mutuality and care. It was still a promise. We have been making promises for a very long time. One of the earliest statements, I'll go jump ahead to touch on a little bit of history. One of the earliest statements in our tradition came in the Universalist tradition in 1790 uh, and summarized in like 1803. Um, that was created in part by Benjamin Rush, who signed the Declaration of Independence. Um, there is, I will tell you, the language at the time was very much about Jesus Christ as the spiritual leader, how we were compelled to follow the gospel, and so on. And it was also still based in mutual care. Now, jumping ahead about 100 years, one of my favorites uh, in the Unitarian tradition is from James Freeman Clark, uh, who also happened to be one of the first people to do a widely known comparison of world religions in 1899. So he has, he has the five points of Unitarianism, which were the fatherhood of God, the brotherhood of man, the leadership of Jesus, salvation by character, progress of mankind, up, onward and upward forever. I don't think we're there, we're, we're that either anymore, right? But I love that part of how I remember that list is that uh, what was also true at the time is there was a certain centrality um, of, of Boston being the hub of Unitarianism. Um, a little parochial, a little neighborhood focused, if you will. And so the way that I started to learn this in divinity school was the fatherhood of God, the brotherhood of man, the leadership of Jesus in the neighborhood of Boston. <laughs> we really need to be able to laugh at ourselves as we're going through this, right? The last one I want to offer is the one, if you've heard me test the microphones, um, is the Universalist statement from 1933 by L. Gris Griswold Adam, uh, Williams, excuse me, which is, the beginning of which is, love is the doctrine of this church. The quest of truth is our sacrament and service is our prayer. You have congregations all over the country who say this covenant in its variations and its fullness every Sunday. So, now, in the creation in the late 80s, we're jumping ahead a little bit here. In the late 80s, we heard the story of the seven principles coming into being. And at that time, this new denomination of Unitarian Universalism was trying to find a way to speak to feminism, the treatment of women, as well as pluralism, the range of theological belief that kept evolving and not just Christian and not just Western Christian, but theist and humanist and more. So they set out to craft this new statement of principles and sources and did. And that statement has endured for so many years. 
as Adams reminds us. And it's been a work, and it's been a work in progress. And sometimes in trying to put this work in progress, we are kind of pieces of work ourselves. But we keep working on it. We keep going through the effort of wonder and wordsmithing and the effort to discover something new. And we're about to enter into that today. So let me pause here and invite you to join me in singing our hymn number 145, As Tranquil Streams. This was written in 1933 in advance of the first shared hymnal between the Unitarians and the Universalists. And it was written to celebrate the growing connection between the two faiths. So if you would please rise in the body of your spirit and help me sing number 145, As Tranquil Streams. Please be seated. My colleague, Monica Jacobson Tennyson writes, what is it that calls you here, that calls you onward, that leads you homeward? What is it that gives you the power to make the change, to ask the question, to take that journey? What is it that says you have done well, that you learn more, that brings you to stillness, that holds you up in hard times? It is relationship. It is the beating heart of our faith that begins when we share this hour and our truths and our hearts. What is it that calls us onward? It is a question that gets, we need to ask every generation or so at least. We have answered that question with our, some of our most important principles, talking about how we affirm and promote the inherent worth of every person, 
that we seek justice, equity, and compassion in human relations, that we have, are on a continual search for truth and meaning, that we follow a democratic process of recognizing that every person should have a say, and ultimately, ultimately, that we are deeply bound and connected in our interdependent web of existence. It is a profound experience of mutuality in service to a larger world and all that is. And we've had this statement of these things and include our, the sources from which we draw. There's Christian and Jewish and world religions and humanist teachings and love and poetry and earth-centered traditions and more. We may not be specifically Christian at this point in the evolution of this faith, but we include that history and practice. We include those who are so. So let me remind you that you're welcome to come join us on Christmas Eve and Christmas morning because we do Christmas on Christmas. There we go. We are now in this time and in this age more pluralist. We also are humanist, science-based. We've made progress on including women. So from the concerns of 1980 or so that led to the writing of the principles back then, we have moved forward. We have progressed. And now we have a new world of challenges, if you will. We have a wider range of religious language. We also are in our social context of racial Reckoning. We also have diversity in lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, intersex, asexual, and more. We have a deeper understanding of disability and the needs of the diversity from there. We have a wider range of culture. And we are also reckoning, reckoning with a climate crisis. That interdependent web is breaking up. Whether we want to be in a moment of shift, we don't have that choice because as we all have been knowing these last few years, shift happens. <laughs> I said shift. I said shift. Just say. I did. This is a time for no casual faith as put by our current Unitarian Versus Association president, the Reverend Susan Frederick Gray. This is a moment calling for real change and real commitment in action, not just affirming and promoting, which has been useful, but truly engaging. And not just for ourselves, not just for one tradition, and not just for one country, but our entirety of this earth. And so the Article II Commission was charged with making this difference, checking out. There we go. So our Article II Study Commission was this process that started. In order to take a really good look, because it's Article II in the bylaws, and part of what we've been working on this fall, um, this month in particular, is to be sharing the findings from the commission and also uh, to be engaged with the conversation around this work. 
The Article 2 is that location where we have our principles, which are now seven, although many congregations have brought in an eighth that talks about building a beloved community free from racism and oppression. Our purposes, what the reason for the UUA being is, and our sources, um, direct experience, wisdom of world religions, wisdom of women, wisdom of all people, and so on. And why? Why enter into this process? Well, because, as I said, this is not a fixed, this was never meant to be a fixed document. The principles were never meant to be the one right answer forever and ever. Amen. We are charged to review this every so often as a faith. And previous reviews had made some tweaks and some suggestions. But this one, this one's a really big one. This one, we're kind of throwing it all open and saying, what do we want? There we go. And the commission, looking at this, which charged with that what they create for new principles, purposes, and so on, a new statement, be rooted in love, be relevant for today, be committed to anti-oppression, anti-racism, multiculturalism, and be creative with its structure and language. In other words, I'll tell you, they didn't start with the seven principles. They started from a very different place. They said, what do we want to create now? And you have, we're not going to go over all the language here. You're relieved to hear that, I'm sure. But, because this is really a personal practice as well as a communal one, you have, if you're with us in person, you have a paper copy of the draft language. And my purpose here is really about bringing this to our collective attention and to invite us to be part of a powerful moment in Unitarian Universalism. This is historic. They're looking at, you know, the Article 2 is the foundation of kind of our general statement of how we're public in the world. And we want to be present and relevant and responsive to this moment, but also have the conversation be in amongst everyone who wants to participate. And everyone is welcome to. So for this congregation, we started to talk about this in newsletters and so on in September. Uh, you've been invited. November 3rd, we had a discussion here. You, were, you had a chance to see in the newsletter the schedule of the feedback sessions that the UUA has been organizing. We've had visual presentation of these slides and the information in Fellowship Hall, thanks to Jesse Lachlan. And we're doing this a bit today. And you have it in print. If you are with us today, there's more copies available. And if you're online, there's links for the draft language, the commission page that talks about their work, and the feedback form. Oh, please, there's a feedback form. Because they'll be continuing to receive, let me see, I'll do that. They'll be continuing to receive feedback from folks um, up through November 28th. Hey, you got all week. You can do this. Absolutely. Absolutely. In between the turkey, you can go and fill out the form. What we want to do is take a chance to read multiple times before responding. Right? How does it make you feel? What do you think? And then how to respond. 
and they want to invite folks to do this intentionally. There we go. Now, it'll be presented, a new draft will be presented to the UA board in about, Ju in about January. The language will be presented to the congregations after that and will be voted on at our General Assembly in June 2023 in Pittsburgh. And I'll tell you, if you want to be a delegate for that conversation, you can be online and it won't cost you a thing. And if the language passes, the first vote, it'll be reviewed for a year by the congregations. And the final vote will be June 2024. So there's the technical piece of process. Now, Article 2, uh, the commission hopes that it passes because they're doing a lot of work, but they've also been trying to reach out and listen to folks. But we also recognize these things don't always pass. They don't always go, you know, the vote isn't always yes. We hope it is. But we know that really it's about the process that also matters. Simply having this conversation has been worthwhile in and of itself. There's been a few of the feedback sessions I've been to. Jesse Lachlan has been to one session. I was able to go to two. Uh, the first of those included actually our UU Church member, Dave Wyman, which was a treat. Get to be in the same small group, which was totally unexpected, which was lovely. Hi, Dave. And there's more conversation that can be had. And truly, people are welcome to be part of this. The commission also already knows, if you've seen the language, that some of what they, some, they'll know, they know, have a sense of some of what they will tweak a bit already, even in, from what you've seen in front of you. For example, many folks in the feedback sessions really wanted to make sure to include the word or the concept about democracy, which isn't specifically stated in the current draft. And that's one of the pieces that the commission will be working on. They've already told us this. The overall effort in this moment is to help us go deeper into our commitments, deeper into what calls us forward. We're trying to do the work, take up seriously this moment, but also recognize that change is also evolving and happening. So I'll say specifically, again, that the proposal the proposed language is not going to include the principles that many of us have grown to be really attached to. I mean, that's been a backbone of how I engage with faith and my own family. But we're being called to be more active, and that has some potential. That can be a welcome challenge and change. I'll offer what I take to heart also in this language is how the draft language is speaking powerfully to folks who are Black, Indigenous, and people of color. Unitarian Universalism is so white. Oh, we're so white. Have you noticed? We're so white in our culture. We have done so much harm to voices who come to us from other racial and cultural perspectives. But from what I've seen in the reactions from folks who have a racial and cultural diversity, this language could help mend the gap between what we believe, what we proclaim, and what we do. I invite you, please, read, reflect, send your thoughts. The links that are before us and around us, and you can find them, we'll put them out in other ways to the congregation again. Look in the November newsletter. 
And let me close with a note. In case they really centered on love in this wording in particular, in case you're wondering where the focus on love came from, well, I'll tell you, it came from within. Case in point, in October, the congregation was asked for three words about what should be taught in our religious education program. And the result of the congregation, oh, share your feedback, and ah, can we see the big word in the middle? Centering on love. And everything else going from there. Tolerance, justice, community, compassion, acceptance, kindness, and, much, and inclusion, and much more. This is what we look like in a word cloud as a congregation. And this is pretty similar to congregations all across the country. So when you see language that be in this new draft language that begins with love, there's a reason why they put that language in there first. We started it, and they listened. It's already been there for such a long time. It's already powerfully and largely there. So we're looking for a way to say that it will what we're offering into the world will inspire us and lead us into action for maybe the next 40 years or so. I invite you to participate. And we're centered in love, as my colleague Kimberly Debus says. Not the love that is pink fluffy hearts and slow motion runs through dappled meadows, right? Not that. This love this love is a verb. It calls us to act. It calls us to build for tomorrow a nobler world than we have known today. And if the way we enter all this work is paved with love, then we are well grounded as we do the work together. I invite us to keep acting, to keep being called, and to keep acting in love. <laughs>